What's up, my Creep Academy pupils? All like 20 of you out there. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I do realize this week's episode is a little bit late, but I've been in a funk lately, both mentally and physically, and when I get that way, I usually kind of just deal with it by taking some time for myself. And usually, I'll either bake or have late-night horror binges to cheer me up, and since I definitely do not have the motivation or the patience right now to fret over a pastry or a cake, it's been horror flicks for me most nights lately. I think I've said it before, but I'm not really that easily scared normally, And there are a few things that really terrify me to the bone, especially in a cinematic aspect. But one genre that actually does the trick is demonic possession films. Now, I'm not a Christian. I follow my own path regarding that kind of stuff. But growing up, my family was Catholic. And although that never really clicked with me, I've always felt that some of the stories and beliefs held by very devout Catholics do make for some extremely fun, if not chilling, tales. Possession, to me, is kind of the big boss of them all, and when you look at pictures from films or even supposedly real possession cases, it almost always visually terrifying to me because of how deteriorated people look and how they contort their faces and their expressions and their bodies and things like that. But that's not really why these types of tales freak me out, although obviously that helps. It's the idea that you have no real control over your own thoughts or actions, that someone or something has complete control of your sanity and is completely gone from your own grasp. That scares me. I'm a fiercely independent person to a fault, to a point where sometimes even if I'm already planning to do something and someone tells me that I should do it out of the blue as if it was their idea, I purposely won't do it until I decide to do it myself again. It's kind of absurd and I'm trying to work on that, but... It is what it is. So it goes without saying that the idea of being forced to let let go of control of myself freaks me out. That said, I decided to put The Exorcist on to maybe get my adrenaline pumping and snap me out of my blah mood. And I was paying attention to it, but my mind began to wander to another real-life controversial case of exorcism. The case of Annalise Michael. Now, you all might be a little somewhat familiar with this case, as its story is behind the films like Exorcism of Emily Rose and Annalise the Exorcist tapes. Annalise's story is a big deal when it comes to subjects like this, because after her death, the people were actually tried in court regarding what happened to her, and two sides of the story are still opposing even to this day. Annalise was born in September of 1952 in Bavaria, Germany. In pictures and written accounts, she's shown as a vibrant, pretty girl with shiny black hair, an open and honest face, and a stunning smile. Annalise is raised very, very devout Catholic. Her whole family is that way. Her father had considered becoming a priest in her earlier life, and three of her aunts were nuns. Not only that, but her family was considered to be on the more extreme spectrum of belief. By that, I mean they weren't only a family who would go to Mass multiple times a week and disregard the reformations of the Vatican at the time, but they also believed that there was no simple atonement for sin. They believed a person could not get by on atonement on their own sins alone. This belief is kind of important when we look into what happened to Annalise, because it shaped who she was even at an early age. For example, before she began to show her terrifying symptoms, she spent many cold Bavarian nights sleeping on her family's stone floor as penance for her mother's birthing her illegitimate sister four years before Annalise was born. 
As a side note to this, her mother was forced to wear actually a black veil for her wedding day because of this illegitimate birth, so it goes to show you how very seriously they took their beliefs. It's also stated that Annalise could be observed sleeping on the hard ground at the local train station in order to attempt to atone for wayward priests, teens who were drug addicts, or people who had lost their faith. So already you can see that things were a little bit more intense for her growing up than your average Catholic or Christian. Aside from her religious focus of life, she kind of grew up as a normal girl attending school, socializing with friends, until things took a dramatic turn in 1968 when she was about 17 years old. At first, she began to walk through her days in what family and schoolmates would describe as a trance, not remembering what she was doing or having any memory of the day's events while she was in her dazed state. It began to happen more and more often, even to the point of her waking up in the middle of the night in that same trance and wetting her bed. Not long after this began, Annalise had her first seizure. She was checked into a psychiatric hospital where she suffered more seizures and was examined by a neurologist at the psychiatric clinic Wurzburg who diagnosed her with grand mal epilepsy, also known as temporal lobe epilepsy. It was during her time in the hospital that Annalise began to see demonic faces, which told her she was damned. The faces would appear to the girl as she prayed, promising Annalise that she would stew in hell. The doctors involved prescribed her medicine to control her epilepsy, and although they didn't seem to help much, she managed to finish high school and begin college in order to study to become a teacher. Unfortunately, her problems only began to worsen. The voices began giving her commands, and Annalise began showing an aversion to religious iconography. An older friend of the Michael family noticed while on a pilgrimage together that Annalise would avoid walking past images of Jesus and that she refused to drink water from a holy spring. She also noted that Annalise smelled, quote, hellishly bad, end quote. At this point by now, it's 1974, and her family is getting ridiculously freaked out about what is going on, and rightfully so. Annalise and her family seek out priests in order to try and convince them that she's possessed by demons. At this time, however, the clergy that they asked for help refused their requests, and they stated that she needed medical attention. So this bit of information was a little surprising to me when I was doing my research because knowing what I do about horror films and the culture surrounding them, the movie The Exorcist had just been released in the midst of all of this, and back then it kicked off sort of a religious demonic hysteria in Germany and in other parts of Europe. So I fully expected the priests to be like, oh yeah, she's totally possessed, let's help her immediately. But that wasn't the case for Annalise. They fully believed that she experienced mental and medical disturbances that only doctors could help with. It's not super clear if the refusal by the clergy was directly responsible for her rapid decline after this, but whatever it was, things took an even more drastic turn for her. Annalise now began to carry out a number of disturbing actions. She would rip off her clothes and urinate on the floor and then crouch down to lick it up like a dog. She crawled around under the table and remained there for two days, barking. She ate spiders, coal, and bit off the head of a dead bird, and could be heard screaming through the walls of the house at all times of the day or night, sometimes for hours. It's worth noting, though, that at this time she was still taking her epilepsy medicine, although it was not really helping her by now, and she was still experiencing seizures in addition to all the things I just mentioned. In 1975, Annalise and her parents stopped seeking medical advice entirely, turning only to their faith and looking for priests to help. 
After a pretty exhaustive search, she and her mother finally found two priests, Father Ernst Alt and Pastor Arnold Rantz, who believed in her possession and gained permission from the Bishop of Wurtz to perform this Roman ritual on Annalise. However, the bishop requested that it be carried out in secret. I think it's super important to state that Annalise was fully in support of everything that occurred regarding the rites performed on her, as well as the refusal to allow medical professionals to help her once the exorcisms began. Although, it could be argued that her state of mind and ability to consent probably wasn't in the best place at that point. Following the bishop's approval in September of 1975, Alton Rands chained Annalise to a bed and began the exorcism in accordance with the Ritual Romanum of 1614. In total, the priests conducted 67 exorcisms on the young woman, some lasting up to four hours. Through these sessions, Annalise is said to have been able to fluently speak sometimes up to five different languages that they believed she had never known before. She would wildly attack the priests and her family, trying to bite and scratch them repeatedly, and in the midst of the madness, Annalise revealed that she believed she was possessed by six demons. Lucifer, Cain, Judas, Iscariot, Hitler, and Nero. The demons would seem to argue with each other, and with one instance supposedly between Hitler and Judas, with Judas stating that, quote, Hitler was nothing but a big mouth who had no real say in hell, end quote. It's pretty clear that leading up to this, medicine did not help Annalise from whatever tormented her. But her health obviously worsened during the exorcism. She began to refuse to eat or drink, stating that she believed that fasting would get rid of her demonic influence. She also began forcefully slamming to her knees from a standing position in order to pray while the exorcisms took place. Annalise performed 600 genuflections over the course of a 10-month exorcism, causing her kneecaps and ligaments to burst. Her parents would then hold her up, moving through the motions of her kneeling in order for her to continue to pray. 48 of the 67 exorcisms were audio recorded, resulting in 42 hours of some pretty terrifying listening. Barely human growls mingle with throaty gurgles, screamed obscenities, and series of dialogues between each of the demons about the horrors of hell. Although I don't speak German, I wanted to share some of these recordings here. I will also post the audio with English subtitles up on Creep Academy website, but just prepare that although you may not know what she's saying, it's pretty creepy to listen to, so maybe don't do it in the dark alone like I did the first time. Oh, 
In her weakening state, Annalise actually came down with pneumonia and a fever. She became emaciated and dropped to under 100 pounds. Still, the two priests continued the sessions. The final exorcism was done on June 30th, 1976, and on the tape, Annalise speaks for the last time. She tells Rands and Alt to, quote, beg for absolution, end quote, then turns her attention to her family. Through tears, Annalise whispers, quote, mother, I'm afraid, end quote. On the morning of July 1st, Annalise Michael died of malnutrition and dehydration. According to the coroner's report, she weighed just 68 pounds. After her death, Annalise's story became a national sensation in Germany, and her parents and the two priests who conducted the exorcism were charged with negligent homicide. They came before the court in 1978, using the recording of the exorcism to try and justify their actions. After all was said and done, the two priests, Alton Rand, were found guilty of manslaughter resulting from negligence, and were sentenced to six months in jail, which was later suspended, and three years probation. The parents were exempted from any punishment as they had, quote, suffered enough, end quote, a criteria for sentencing in German law at the time. There's no way really to prove or disprove supernatural occurrences such as exorcisms, and that kind of makes it difficult to know what really happened to her. But me being me, I wanted to look further into what else could have maybe caused this to happen to Annalise. And I found that when it comes to temporal lobe epilepsy, it's stated on many medical sites that the affliction can cause, among a terribly long list of side effects, changes in mood, hallucinations, and loss of awareness. Epileptics are also medically at an increased risk of displaying symptoms of schizophrenia, so it has been posited that she suffered from a severe personality disorder and maybe even schizophrenia. That combined with her religious background and the wrong medication might have been cause for the events leading to her death. I'm not sure, but it seems plausible to me. Psychiatrists who testified during the trial spoke about the doctrinaire induction, which in relation to Annalise explains that she accepted her behavior as a form of demonic possession, mainly because the exorcists introduced much of the idea to her and then reinforced it with the exorcism. In 1984, German bishops and theologians petitioned Rome to change the exorcism rite. They concluded that speaking directly or imperatively to the devil, that is, saying such things as, I command the unclean spirit, and all of those kinds of things, only confirms to the patient that they are without a doubt possessed, and it locks them in that possessed state of mind. The rational part of me thinks this poor girl was an undiagnosed schizophrenic who suffered worse because her beliefs were so enforced by those around her. I somewhat feel that her upbringing brainwashed her into thinking that the only explanation could have been demonic possession. But the smaller, imaginative part of my brain is always thinking, but what if? What if some horrifying supernatural entities really took hold of her and she just couldn't fight them anymore? I don't know, but what do you guys think about demonic possession and the case of Annalise Michaels? Let's chat about it on Facebook or Instagram at Creep Academy Cast or on the Slasher app at Ghastly Ash. Don't forget to share, follow, and review as well, guys. It's really helping. And I'm also thinking about maybe setting up a giveaway of some sort once I reach 100 followers. A giveaway for each platform. That means not, <laughs> not once I hit 100 on every one of them. But like I said, I'll be back to the swing of things on Monday releases this coming week. So keep your eyes out. That's it for today. Stay creepy. 